Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik, and today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back uh, my good friend, Charlie Dobbins. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me back, and I appreciate you getting all dressed up for this occasion. I can, you know, see it. Yes. <laughs> Thank I you so much. Yes. I, I, you know, working from home in, in, this, in this crazy world, it's actually fun <laughs> to put on a jacket once in a, once in a while. <laughs> your, wife, your wife thinks you have a date or something. That's, you know, that's a problem. No, it's business cordial. It's only on top looks like this and the bottom. Oh, okay. You look exactly. around, whatever works and, for you. And the thing is, I wore a nice pair of shoes just for you. And like, you know, no one's going to ever see it. So. But thank yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> How have you been? Thank you for coming back. You're repeating. Very well. Yes. What's, what's been happening in personal life? Anything new? Oh, man, I tell you, I just, I just got back from my piano lesson and uh, I'm, I'm flying my plane and uh I'm uh, doing a little bit of development. I'm I'm having a blast. Somebody asked me the other day. I said, "What you know?" Oh, I was on a podcast. Guy says, "What are you looking forward to?" I said, "The future." I said, "I got I, I, so much going on. I'm I I can't wait. It's going to be a blast." You know, so you're living the life to the fullest. Exactly. And but you always remember. You always remember what the um, what the uh, uh, the first fatality of 9-11 for, of the firefighters was, they consider it was the chaplain uh, when he got hit by falling debris from, the, from the tower, one of the towers. And when they were doing his eulogy, they said, uh, you know, one of his favorite sayings was, you want to make God laugh? Tell him what you're going to do tomorrow. And you know what? Uh, I'm looking forward to the future, but whatever God gives me, I'll be happy with it. So... Yeah, that's that's a great wisdom. That is a great way to to, to live your life. You 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 surrender to the higher power, surrender yep. to the God. But um, uh, you're gonna love, make him laugh by uh, by saying what you're gonna do tomorrow. So exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about multifamily. You are the multifamily attorney. This is what you do. You live and breathe yeah. multifamily. So what's been happening with multifamily? Any anything new what's the latest and greatest in multifamily world in the united states today you know one of the things i'm seeing people do and and i and you know you deal with a lot of these investors a lot of these these syndicators some of them are very wet behind the ears they they haven't been through a full cycle yet they haven't you know really really experienced life and so i'm seeing you know people still having these rose colored glasses that are telling the the world's just going to continue to go up and the cap rates are going to continue to compress even though Powell and the Fed have just told us, hey, interest rates are going up. You deal with it. Interest rates are going up. And that's going to have a serious impact on a lot of these, uh, a lot of these deals that people are, are proposing. Um, I tell you, I, I do, uh, I'm one of the sharks on uh, Cornelius Cannon's shark pool event. And, you know, I see some people come up and their, their projections for multifamily, their deals are just uh, they're, they're irreconcilable. You look at them like it's, it's not, it can't happen that way. We can't, you know, you can't sit around and think to yourself that, oh, you know, this, this is different than the last, last time we had a spike. No, they're all the same. And I'm just waiting for it. I'm waiting for, waiting for the things to turn. Um, you know, I had uh, uh, Ivy Zellman on one of my podcasts and, you know, she basically said we're overbuilt right now, which blew me away. 
when she said that, because uh, we're just seeing incredible demand for our product. And so where is the overbuilt? You know, why? How can we be overbuilt when we're at 99% occupancy? And she went through the numbers and it was tough to argue against her. And, uh, you know, she says we, we've already uh, peaked and we're starting the downturn right now. And now I kind of I kind of believe it. I mean, I remember this time last time. And Mike, you and I are old enough to remember that last time. And, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of the similarities, some differences, but a lot of similarities between uh, now and back then. Yeah, that's that's an interesting commentary that things uh, have begun to slow down and we, we don't yeah. yet know exactly how things will play out. But um, at least what I've observed, the uh, 30 year treasury moved 70 basis points, seven zero, seven tenths of 1% from March 1st until we're recording this on March 30th, roughly. And I didn't check what the market did today, uh, but uh, it's a very substantial move. And um, what the basic observation is, is if your payment was on a multifamily complex or a single family residential, your payment was um, 50,000 a month. Now it's 60,000 a month. It moved yeah. a lot. The, these, yeah. the, the payment factor moved quite a lot because that, that 70 basis points on relative basis is a very substantial move. Yeah. yeah. So the, 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 the most folks, at least what I'm hearing right now, they're beginning to quickly, at least the smart ones, reflect that in their underwriting and in their negotiations trying to get a better cap rate, a higher cap rate to pay because their interest rates are going up. And that's the natural reaction is that the impact is immediate. You don't have time to raise rents. As much as your value strategy has rent increases, but it takes time. But the interest rate increases immediately. You, you feel it. If you're refinancing, you, you, you bought the property today, you're feeling it today. What are your quick thoughts on, on what, what can folks do in the immediate reaction to uh, rapidly uh, raising interest rates? Okay, when I see the naivete of some of these people, I say, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. We're getting a fixed rate uh, mortgage. No, 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 no. You're missing the point here. The point is not that you're locking in your interest rate. The point is that your future customer, the one that's going to buy your property, is going to be living in a different environment that you're living in right now. And he's going to have to account for that in the value of, of his purchase price to you. And therefore, what you thought you were going to sell it for, you won't be able to, to achieve that. Uh, you And the thing is, so what you need to do is when you're thinking about building your uh, exit strategy, your investment strategy, you got to take into consideration higher interest rates. You're going to bump up that uh, cap rate. Your exit cap rate is going to be much higher than what you've probably been underwriting for in the past. Uh, and the rents, you might not see that rent growth that uh, every year, like 3% every year. Because sometimes, you know, if, if Ivy Zellman is right and there's a glut of homes on the market, that's going to impact multifamily owners as well. And so, you know, we're, we might not be able to get those 20% rent increases we've seen in some of these primary markets over the last two to three years. So you've got to rein it in, in, in. And here's the thing is, Paul Moore, who uh, has been on my podcast a couple of times, fantastic guy. He wrote a blog post for Bigger Pockets, And basically he said that smart real estate investors buy uh, based upon the success of their, their efforts, 
not in the hopes that the market is going to make the property more valuable. They always say you expect the market to hurt your profits, not to help your profits. If it helps your profits, great. But you make sure your strategy is set up so it's based upon your abilities as an owner operator of the property and not based upon what the market's going to do. And that's why we see people, you know, the best deals are the, are the value add deals and, uh, you know, no broker involved type deals. Yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, Paul is a, is, a, is a great friend. I know him really well. And he's a smart cat. He's absolutely Isn't a smart he? cat. The guy, when he speaks, I listen. I, I think the, the guy, everything he said, especially in that blog post, everything he says, I could not agree with more. It was he was spot on with that with that back with that discussion. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, we just did a large multifamily deal, closed literally on Monday, and uh, it's it's heavily dependent on the value strategy. It doesn't matter what the market will do. Ability to increase rents is a function of the operator executing on the renovations, exactly. improving the units. If the market supports it today, you're not projecting it's going to support it tomorrow. Does the market support higher rents? This is your classic value add. But I'm in agreement, especially in this market, you have to prepare and project that uh, the market may correct. And that's that's the reality. So uh, let's go back. So what's the story to investors today? What do you tell investors? In, it, it's a good, it's an important business today to deliver the right message. You don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. Uh, at the same time, folks that are bringing these deals forward, if they don't paint an attractive picture, it becomes more of a, how do you sell the deal? So in this environment with the rising interest rates, and it's not clear how fast it's going to go and how much. We're going to watch meeting by meeting. And it's not just the Fed. It's often the market is a way even ahead of the Fed. The market is, is controlling what the long-term rates are going to look like. It's not necessarily the Fed setting the tone. We already know the tone. The tone is going to be going up. But the market uh, is going to respond. So um, what do you think is the story? What's the right uh, message to investors uh, how do you get them to, to basically continue to invest, not turn off the, the faucet and sit on cash? How do you do, continue to invest, but you do it in a more realistic expectations manner? You know, give them the opportunity to diversify. I've seen that, you know, the different, different funds coming out now where you're able to put your money into a fund that actually is diversified over several, several different properties, which is a great in, investment strategy to begin with. Multifamily is still always going to be a strong uh, investment. The barriers to entry to get into this business, to build new stock is very high. I saw a great quote the other day that said, if the auto, auto manufacturers had the burdens that we real estate developers have, they would build nothing but Cadillacs and nobody would, nobody would get an opportunity for a Chevy. And the point that they're making is the fact that the government has put such burdens on us that we can't build inexpensive homes anymore. We have to build expensive homes. We have to build Cadillacs because the government has made it so hard for us. So that's what's, that's why the, the barriers to entries are, is there for us. So therefore, our, our product will always continue to be in high demand. Uh, as far as where it is in the marketplace or, or whether the, it's going to grow as fast as we thought it was, it's going to continue to grow, maybe not as fast, but it's always going to be uh, a rising uh, number. Um, and then the other thing too, is you got to take into consideration inflation. Multifamily is a hard asset. That's real estate. That's, you know, they're not making any more land. 
So that makes, if you're, if you see the inflation starting to rear its ugly head, you want to put some of your assets into a, into a, you know, an inflationary uh, inflation proof uh, asset like multifamily. And that's what we're, uh, you know, that's, you know, what we're seeing now is we're starting to see some stupid, more stupid money going into multifamily, like hedge fund money going into multifamily and, and real estate because it's a hedge against inflation. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah, it's a great commentary. This is really bizarre times from the point of view that um, the interest rates are rising, but there is still very substantial capital chasing deals. So yeah. the projections for the inflows of the capital and multifamily is one of the largest asset classes of benefits. It's still very substantial inflows because the capital's got to get deployed, and it is a great hedge against inflation. And the other point you 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 brought uh, forward is hard to build affordable today. Everybody builds higher end. That that's that the Cadillacs of 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 uh, housing. So affordable stuff continues to be uh, in short supply, high demand, and uh, projects that focus on more of affordable uh, type of affordable doesn't mean that area it just means affordable relative to the expensive stuff so right. affordable workforce housing still has ton of opportunity and uh that makes total sense so what's the right type of deal selection besides the fact that you want to work in a little bit more affordable range because affordable could mean you, you could be in a class d neighborhood class d area or class c which you don't want to be in either so it's what kind of a, what's the, what's the ideal asset class? Is it, is it the B product, just more of a, an affordable pricing? Where's the sweet spot today? What do you see happening in this year? What kind of deals? All right. So, you know, I, I'm looking to build up here where I am now, which is in, in New England and up in New Hampshire. Okay. I'm looking at deals, existing assets all over the country. I you know, looked at a deal in Tallahassee. We were involved in it for, uh, you know, for a while. We couldn't get the financing to work out the right way. But let me go back to what you're talking about, workforce housing here. And, and just to tie up what you're, what you're mentioning. So I got an, a, um, a lead on a great sub, uh, urban lot and I could build 24 units on this particular in-city lot. And I was thinking about workforce housing. Let me try to do workforce housing. That way they're gonna give me like a little bit of a bump, like a 12% bump on, on my, um, uh, on my uh, and the number of units I can add to it. That'll make it more valuable. Okay, great. Mike, when you sat down there and you did the numbers and you looked to see what type of rents you could get for market, and then maybe, you know, take 25% uh, of the units and, and make it workforce housing. And you add up all of those numbers. That gives you your gross revenue. You talk, knock off a 5% vacancy rate. You'd multiply by, let's say, a 50%, maybe a 40% expense ratio. That gives you the NOI of that 24-unit property that I was looking to build. You divide it by the cap rate in that particular marketplace, maybe 5 5.5% cap rate. And it gives you a valuation a back of the cocktail napkin valuation on that property on day one. You take what a two bedroom, two bath condo in that marketplace times 24 units, and you compare the valuation of the, of the market for a market rate apartment complex and versus 24 condos. It just it just doesn't make any sense. Who wins? I'm I'm curious. Who wins? The multifamily? 
the condo by a factor of two. So it's more profitable to build and sell these condos than multifamily housing. Yeah. Round up. Yeah. Yep. That's why it goes back to what I was saying about the, you know, the car manufacturer. The government has put such burdens on it that we don't have a, we don't have a say. I can only build 24 units. That's all the zoning is going to allow me. That's all the government lets me do. And so therefore I'm, I'm going to sell them. I'm going to sell them and I'm going to walk away and I'm not going to be a, you know, an apartment owner. So that's the, that's, Part of the problem in, in, uh, is, is trying to get these things to pencil out as apartments, as new construction. And, you know, they, they're, it's tough to do. It's tough to do. So, yeah, it's very hard to do that. I, I would agree with you. And at least I'm, I'm in New York and I'm observing the same thing. They're building condos. You just don't. Yeah. There are some new ground up multifamily straight from the uh, start uh, construction, but they usually sort of unique properties and you could count probably one of those for every 50 uh, condo initiatives. Okay, but Mike, let me ask you something. How I, I bet in those properties that you're looking that you're talking about the the ones that are being turned into uh, uh rentals, there's some type of government involvement in them. Either like special financing from the government or something that the government has had to give that developer a a break on in order to make the numbers work, LIHTC, you know, tax credit or what have you. It, that's the only way. In other words, government don't get in my way and get become partners with me. Leave me alone. Just let me go out there and build what I want at you know at at what should be an, a market rate cost. Uh, but they don't do it. They don't do it. That, you know, it's they think they're they're helping the world. Well, yeah, in in in, in cities like New York, there's a lot of regulation, and for sure, uh, a lot of the new construction projects are required to have certain percentage of units affordable. And um, but the government incentive is the only way to go. I'm working right now on a project. I don't know if it's going to go, but it's it's we're working on um, in in Maryland. And we're getting substantial federal and state tax credits, and without it, and even some some city incentives, some grants, because without it, the numbers don't work. Exactly, the numbers just don't work. And we're yep. talking about redeveloping an old retail building into multifamily housing. And yep. uh, one of the biggest challenges, and I'll tell you this, and you, you, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So we've been working on this project. It took a long time to get those credits approved. As you know, it's a process, right? We got the credits approved. It's wonderful. Now. One of the biggest challenges, we started scoping the project a while, while back, and now the numbers move so much that everything has to get re-scoped, have to get rebid. Everything, you can't use the old numbers because the old numbers are from six to 12 months ago that are drastically different now. Yeah. So what are you seeing? Are you seeing any of this stuff being a continuous problem? Because it, it still feels like supply chain is still a problem. And the price, the inflation continues to the cost of inflation is just, just still ravaging. And these projects, when you start the project, by the time you're done, you spend so much more more money. So you have to over budget it, and you hope and prayers that the rents have kept up, and you can actually charge more for these units when you're done. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, if we take, I just had a student uh, come to me with a deal. It's a nice looking deal. It's about a 65 unit deal, but it also comes with 22 acres. And he's, he's told me, he said, and they've already been permitted. They've already been approved. And my question to him was, how long ago? How long ago did they get approved? Because if it's over a certain amount of time, he's got to go through the repermitting process all over again. Because the government only gives you a certain amount of time to build. 
And then you got to start the process all over again. And so now, you know, like you said, we were hearing about the high cost of construction before there was even a supply chain issue. And so that's reared its ugly head. And then the supply chain issue came, came up and then COVID came up and trying to find people. I mean, you're, um, you know, I kind of really did a deep dive into modular construction uh, and how they could have these, these things, um, you know, put together within three days. You know, they build it off site, they come in, they, they set them and, 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 and you're all set. And I talked to my my sales rep from the modular company the other day, and and he said we are it, that we can't even give a guy a cost anymore because it by the time we uh, get it on, on all set up and ready to build, the cost has gone up twenty percent, and that's what they're looking at now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, along the same lines. I spoke with another another project development. They're called manufacturing. Um, manufactured homes. It's a, yeah, it's, not, it's, it's the same concept. It's like modular yeah. homes, manufactured yeah. homes. You can't even get the orders through. The wait time to get the orders is very long, and you can't get a price either. Because, yeah. but by the time they get to be working on your on your order, the numbers are drastically higher. It's another interesting thing that uh, uh, I know a number of folks who do, who built to rent. They basically build communities of single family residential built to rent. Right. One of the biggest problems for investors, and this is back to the investor conversation: How do you serve investors? Uh, is when investors sign up to buy the, the home, they can't get a fixed price. It, it, it's a cost plus, but that cost continues to evolve. So most investors, they, they, they're nervous because in essence, you, you on a picture today, you say yes to $200,000 per unit construction. By the time you're done, it's 280,000. And uh, folks say, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for that kind of increase. But it becomes a little bit of a challenge for folks who bring your product to the market. How do you um, how do you get the right story to to the investors? The one of the, the modular homes companies that I was looking at, I really liked them because it was like in house financing. They would do hard money loan on the deal. I would just have to you know put my twenty percent down, and they would they would build it. Not anymore. And I said to the guy, "Why not?" He goes. It's too risky. The prices go up too fast. We can't take on that risk of the of the additional cost. We have to shift it back on on the consumer and let that 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 cost increase be his problem. I'm like, ooh, wow, wow, okay, all right, that's tough. That's tough. That stinks. Yeah, so, that's back to the cost plus. It's a nobody does anything other than cost plus. If you hear somebody give, gives you a, a fixed price, I, I mean, I'd worry about that because they give you a fixed price, but then you can't get them to perform. Exactly, because they're like, "Whoops, we should probably shouldn't have given that slot the guy, uh, you know, a cost plus contract." Yeah, that's the reality today. You have to be very realistic about what the picture is going to look like. If you're going to sign up for a fixed cost, uh, you 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 you're setting yourself a situation where the project will just take forever because they yeah. won't finish it yeah. at the yeah. cost that they. But this is one of the oldest tricks and the worst tricks when you're working with construction people. I don't know what's been your experience. But uh, the folks I've seen is they start the project, they do when the prices increase, they come back to you and they tell you, hey, it costs more now. We can't do it at a lower price. You either pay more. If you say, no, I have a contract, they disappear. They just yeah. don't show up. They, they go work on other projects and say, listen, you don't want to pay more? No problem. Go sue us, right? <laughs> the project isn't going to go anywhere. We are not going to do the work. Have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we always said... Um, uh, what was said last time, 
you know, some of some of my students are getting the hardest time getting callbacks from brokers because like, OK, you know, they don't know them. They haven't worked with them before. And the brokers like all the broker has to do in today's market is throw up an offering memorandum and they get 20 bids, you know, crazy numbers. You're getting ten, crazy 1031 money coming into the deal. You got, uh, you know, California investors just, you know, looking to, to invest in anything. So the brokers don't have to work all that hard. One guy said, you know what? I remember days like this. You know, last time this happened, the broker wouldn't even call me back. Then the market crashed and the, the best, all I had to do to get a hold of my broker was say, hey, I need another round. And he came right over to, to take my order. And like, they'll be, they'll be working for you down to the country club after this, that when the, everything changes. We've, I've already seen it before. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well then the next question what do you do now you sit there and you wait for for a correction you sit there and you wait for a recession some folks have here is just kind of my my view of the world as much as people uh may think things will slow down and recession is coming i i'm not necessarily a massive um uh supporter of an immediate recession in fact i think the recession does take some time to uh to kick in after economic data starts pointing out, and one one thing that I, I watch, and I'm sure you, uh, you 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 follow too, is the yield curve inversion. Yield curve hasn't inverted yet, and until it inverts, you're not going to convince me that recession is coming. Uh, the fact that um, uh, the interest rates are going up, it's just it's it's basically a reflection that there is a strong inflation. It doesn't necessarily mean that recession is coming. So how do you act today? Do you still look for deals? You continue to invest. Uh, finding quality deals is hard. It's as you, like you said, there's so many people bidding on these properties, and there's still massive uh, disbalance of what people are willing to pay for them. So, do you sit on your hands, wait a little bit, start accumulating some some dry powder, or or what do you do as a multifamily investor? There's no shame in sitting on the sidelines and waiting. It, it, it does. If you don't find that good deal, don't do it. You know, it's sometimes it, it's a red flag when people are doing deals that just don't pencil out if you were you were to do them on your own and you know they're doing it for the transactional cost or transactional income that they're going to earn. In other words, they're going to make an acquisition fee. It's a lousy investment. I wouldn't put my money in, but they get paid at the, at the closing table. When that happens, they're not investors. They are brokers. That's all they are. They brokered your investment dollars to get into that deal so they could get paid at the end of the day. I see that more and more. It scares the daylights out, out of me. Listen, the best deals I have told my students to do are the ones I told them not to do. In other words, stay sit in the sidelines. This is not a good deal. There are always deals to be made, no matter what's going on in the marketplace. You just have to look harder for them. And the two things that I look for, uh, that the type of deals that I get into are true value add deals, where we're truly seeing some huge spread in the rental income. That's number one. And typically they are owner deals where we are dealing directly with the owner of the property, no broker involved. When they bring in a broker, it just becomes a feeding frenzy. They go full retail. Uh, and that's not a good deal. So I'm looking for those types of deals where we're dealing directly with the owner, where there's uh, where there's a they they may have built these properties 20 years ago. They're they're uh, not good managers, and there's a huge play in those types of properties. They're hard to find, I guarantee it. But man, when you find them, that's the millionaire maker. 
And as like Paul Moore said, don't count on the market to, to make your investment strategy work. Find those deals that rely that you can do on your own back and make the money yourself. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, let's shift the conversation a little bit to um, sort of uh, the folks you, you, you serve. So you serve investors, you, you serve the operators. Just talk a little bit about, just, just give you an opportunity to a little <laughs> promote yourself. Sure. Uh, not, not that you need the promotion, but um, how would folks reach out to you and how do you, what do you do for them? How do you help them? All right. So my entire focus, I started out, you know, as a, as a multifamily investor and then the market crashed. I, I lost some of my properties. I kept my properties. You know, I still own and operate uh, many, many multifamily properties. The, um, but what happened was I noticed that a lot of my friends were contacting me, asking me to represent them through the process of them losing their property. And, you know, I looked at some of these deals and there's nothing I could do for them. It was just, I just held their hand through the process. But what I, I came to the realization was some of these deals were bad deals. Why'd you get into these deals in the first place? And they start telling me, oh, well, I'm going to do this. And, you know, we're going to do the, you know, the rub system and we're going to, you know, shift over all these expenses. And none of that was ever going to happen. They, they didn't know what they were doing. And I thought, man, they needed me before they bought the property, not afterwards. And that's when I really started getting into mentoring and, and uh, helping people for the last 10 years. And as a lawyer, I, you know, I, I, I tell all my students, I'm a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. You're going to hire a lawyer, but you're going to work with me. And I'm going to look at and feel like an attorney the whole process. I'm going to work with your local counsel to make sure that they do everything correctly. Uh, but I'm going to be looking over your shoulder every step of the way. No student of mine sends out an offer, uh, drafts a purchase and sale agreement until I've had a chance to review it and make sure everything is right. And then I take them through the whole entire process. I, I look over their shoulder. I help them with the key principles. I help them with the earnest money deposits. I do all of that stuff to help my students get across the finish line. And that's that's become my passion uh, for the last 10 years. I absolutely love doing it. It's a, it's a blast. It gets me to come running into the office uh, every morning, Mike. It's so much fun. Yeah, makes makes great sense. And, and that's, that's a great service for both investors who invest in these deals because you, you're shielding them from yeah. some of these stupid deals and you're helping the students so that they, they have your experienced eyes to look over the deal and, and yeah. give them some guidance, more like a coach rather than an attorney who just says this, this PPM needs to look this way or that way, which right. is, I think is more, exactly. more valuable to give coaching feedback than a uh, you know, pure legal um, advice. You know, when I was uh, buying my properties, all different parts of the country, I hired some great attorneys and they wrote some fantastic contracts and they, uh, you know, uh, closed the, the, the deal, closed escrow, did a fantastic job. But not one of those lawyers could tell me if my deal was a good deal or not. They well, just they, didn't they don't necessarily, they, either they don't care or they don't know. It's hard they don't to find know. an attorney who, 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 who is an expert in, in both uh, finding a good deal and making sure the deal is penciled well and legally uh, properly structured. Exactly. Yep. So. Great. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, how would folks get a hold of you? What's your website? Uh, my new program, multifamilyos.com, multifamilyoperatingsystem. Uh, multifamilyoperatingsystem. It's multifamilyos.com, and it's um, it's really geared towards helping you build a multifamily business 
not just evaluate the investment, but to build the business all around the whole structure so I can get you to a thousand units, which is what everybody wants to do. So I'm there for you. Multifamilyos.com. Yeah. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing. Um, appreciate you. And uh, we'll do this again. Uh, as, as I like to say, all good things, unfortunately, come to an end. So does this interview. Well, I appreciate it too, Mike. It's always good to see you. Likewise. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.